It's like I recognize your voice recording. from watching <laughs> or listening to the podcast. I'm like, wait, you sound really familiar. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> well, okay, so you listened to the um, MLM pyramid scheme, pyramid scheme episode. Katie's not really a, a true true crime person, which I guess Natalie, you aren't either. Yeah, it was really I uh, saw Carson and Susie the other day, and they I guess both have been listening, and they're like, "You don't strike me as a true crime person," and I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm not. You're right." <laughs> wow, thanks for noticing. That's too yeah. funny. So, yeah, you don't have to be in a I true crime to thought. do this. <laughs> no, not at all. Um. Apologies in advance if the audio is terrible. We are currently in a hundred-year-old lake house, and there are no real doors here, so I can't shut anything. And it's so hot that we have to have the fans going, otherwise I'm going to pass out. Well, it doesn't sound too bad. I'm also sharing so. a microphone. Myself and, and Katie. Yeah. So, I teased on the Insta that... <laughs> This was going to be, <laughs> it sounds so basic, um, this was going to be a special episode. Um, so my sister and my family drove up from Illinois to join me here in upstate New York for the weekend, which is super great. Haven't been able to see them since Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's, been a, it's been a minute. It's been a while. Super cool. So we're having Katie join us, which is awesome. I'm like super nervous about this i'm like i have to be really professional (laughs) we're always professional i think you guys sound super professional from watching it or listening to it good thing this isn't a video podcast though i feel like we'd be such oh my god i would never yeah never in a million years well since the theme of the day is sisters did did you have anything that you wanted to talk about that was sisterly? Don't mean to put you on the spot. Her eyes currently look like they're oh! popping out of <sighs> her head. So Natalie has a sister, a half sister. Yeah. Um, I do. What's that been like for you? <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly, I mean, I have two siblings. I have a brother and then a half sister. And I definitely feel like an only child most of the time. So... <laughs> We don't feel like that. Yeah. No. no, I don't. I, yeah, I don't really. I, I especially don't feel like I have a sister that much, but she's also a lot older than me. Like, right. Yeah. I was going to say you're the, the baby of your yeah, family. She's like maybe 20, I, I, less than 20 years, but like more oh, than wow. 10 years older than me. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a lot. I mean, we have a little brother. My little brother's 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And I you're going to say 18 years younger than you. And I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, God, no. What, like 18 nine? years old, so a little less than 10 years younger. And it's definitely a different kind of vibe yeah. than mm-hmm. having sisters. Um, yeah. 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 Do you me, though, because we're five years. Right. So you guys are a little bit closer. Well, you can have that. He's kind of Besties. annoying. 
He doesn't listen to this, so I can talk smack. Do you guys all get along fine, or are you guys like more competitive siblings? I think uh, we get along pretty. Maybe... We're competitive, but we also get along. Yeah. Right. Maybe when we were younger, I think. Oh yeah. We when we were younger, along. I was much closer with my older sister because we were only a year apart. And then, well, I feel like we coupled off because there's four of us. Mm-hmm. So it would be myself and Becca, and then Katie and John would hang out, and we. Have definitely fought throughout the years. Um, I may have pulled your hair and <laughs> put you in, a headlock, in like a headlock. <laughs> but I think it's like all siblings, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, no. And now we're all closer. So, I mean, it works out well. So that like never really happened with my siblings and I. We always had the like rivalry relationship and it's still pretty much that way. And I... I, like, can't imagine it any other way. I'm like, people are friends with their siblings? That's so weird. (laughs) Yeah, I think in college, people said that it was really strange that my... Because Becca went to college with me. And then Katie, eventually, you went to college with us, too. So, well, Becca was graduated, but we were all in the same state. And people thought it was so weird that we were all friends with each other. I think I... I don't know. I feel like it's pretty normal. I don't... Just because you're all the same... You're all kind of the same person. Yeah, it's, same us, u- it's us united against our parents. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the common connection. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc., etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. Well, you're going first. Yeah, so we're doing sisters um, in honor of our sister duo today. Um, And so my um, crime, I'm not even sure that there really was a crime, but this case kind of pisses me off. So um, I'm like... I might rage about it. So, That's a good end. start. <laughs> um, well, you sent me like you were while you were looking for a case. Something about a was it? Is this that case? No, 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 no. Okay, so, <laughs> I was gonna say. I sent, so I was searching for a case, and I saw this like thing, and I sent Rachel a screenshot where it's like two three year olds, like two three year old siblings put their like infant sibling in the oven and like watch oh like it was horrifying <laughs> i'm like laughing because it's so uncomfortable but no that's it's not so... that is not that is not the case that i could not bring myself to even look oh no oh no even you sending that to me i was like i can't even because the kids just don't know yeah. they don't know what they're doing but also it's not like they were doing it on purpose and that they're they're evil yeah but also what the hell like how do you guys know how to use yeah. an oven <laughs> True. So many questions. So I'm doing the case of the Scott the Scott sisters. Um, so in 1972, Evelyn Rasco gave birth to a daughter named Jamie Scott in Mississippi. 
Two years later, in 1974, she gave birth to another daughter named Gladys Scott. Um, So I'm going to fast forward to basically the time of the crime. And so on December 23rd, 1993, the sisters were both um, 21 and, or one was 21 and the other one was 19. And they drove to a local mini mart in their small Mississippi town. And they both went in, purchased what they needed and returned to the car. However, their car wouldn't start. And it, it was late in the evening and it was the 90s. So obviously texting someone for a ride or figuring things out that way wasn't really an option. And so this is kind of where the details or the like official facts of the case kind of get murky. And so I'm going to give what the sisters say happened and then what the official like court report that I was able to find says happened. Um, So according to Jamie and Gladys, they decided to walk home and they left their car at the store. And so while walking, they claimed that they heard the voices of two men, Johnny Hayes and Mitchell Duckworth, and who were approaching them. And so the sisters actually recognized one of them from uh, the place that they worked. And so either they asked the men for a ride home or the men offered them a ride The different um, sources that I looked at said uh, different things, but either way, a ride was given. And so according to Jamie, she actually offered to pay them $10 for the ride, but um, it's unclear if that actually happened, but I don't think that really matters very much. Um, Per Jamie's account of what happened, one of the men started touching her inappropriately. So she and Gladys got out of the car and they continued to walk home. Once they got home, um, soon after that, three boys, we'll refer to them as the Patrick boys, they were all related, I think, um, two brothers and one cousin, um, they were aged 14 to 18. They knocked on their on the sister's apartment door and they told them that Johnny Hayes and Mitchell Duckworth had just started a fight with them. And so that's what the sisters say happened on the night of December 23rd. However, according to um, the conflicting official report, um, the court documents basically say that at the mini mart, Johnny or the sisters approached Johnny and Mitchell and asked for a ride home. The men say that they looked at the car um, that Johnny and Gladys had like driven in, but um, they didn't to them. Nothing seemed like it was wrong with the car. And they think that people were in the car um, when they left. And so they decided to give the two sisters a ride home. And as they were on their way to drop Jamie and Gladys off, they stopped at a random house where someone driving the same car that Jamie and Gladys had left behind at the mini mart um, appeared. And so the two sisters got out of the car and went and spoke to the driver of the vehicle. Wait, so were they lying about the car and saying it was theirs or there was just other people in it i'm a little bit confused so basically there's just two different stories where i guess the sisters do claim that that is their car but from the sisters account of things they never like there wasn't anyone else in the car the car was left at the mini mart um but the guys say that the car was actually following them and the sisters actually got out of the car um at a random stop to talk to the people who were in their car Um, and so they, once the sisters talked to the people in the car, they got back into Johnny and Mitchell's car and they started driving as they kept driving. Um, Jamie started complaining that her stomach hurt and that she was about to be sick. And so they pulled over because she said she was going to throw up. And when they pulled over the same car that 
um, Johnny and Mitchell claim was following them and was um, Jamie's, Jamie and Gladys's car pulled up behind them. And at that point, um, the men claimed that um, somebody got out of the other vehicle, pointed a shotgun into uh, their the passenger side of the car, and basically told them to get out. And then um, inside of that car, they claim, was the three teenagers that in Gladys and Jamie's story were the ones who like knocked on their door later that night. Um, and so according to the guys, the three teenagers like knocked them out, stole their wallets and Jamie and Gladys left with the three teenagers. Um, and so court documents basically allege that, um, yeah, that they're, that the only thing that was stolen was their wallets. And so despite being the ones that carried out the armed robbery in this version of the, of events, the Patrick boys were offered a plea deal to testify against Jamie and Gladys. Basically, um, the authorities um, or the prosecutors wanted the three boys to say that um, not only were Jamie and Gladys actually involved in the robbery, but they're the ones that planned it and put the teenagers up to robbing the two men. Yeah, um, that's that's so interesting. And I think when I start telling you my case there's some like similar elements to it um, unplanned as usual yeah but very interesting that it was you know two women that were kind of that they claimed were coercing the the younger boys men yeah teens and so yeah so i mean yeah most of them i think one was 14 the other one was maybe like 16 and then there was an 18 year old which i still consider a teenager your frontal lobe is not developed especially if you're a boy you should honestly be considered a teenager until you're like 25 in my opinion no i i feel like katie what resident 23 year old (laughs) do you feel like your frontal lobe is fully developed not at all take no responsibility for my action. <laughs> I'm, I'm 26 well, and I go. feel like a senior teenager. I feel like barely an adult sometimes. So I See, yeah. yeah, that's what I I feel like turning 26 is I feel like my brain has finally mellowed out because I look back at some of the things that I did when I was in high school or like college that seemed like such a great idea at the time and I'm like, "Oh, it's because my frontal lobe wasn't fully developed and yeah. I was a moron. Yeah, no, I look at some of my choices and I'm like, why? How? Where was the guidance? <laughs> exactly. Like, I remember learning in my intro to psych classes how your brain is still continuing to develop. And I was like, Ugh, in college. So I was like, oh, I'm so mature for my age. Like, <laughs> I know what's up. Yeah. I did not, in fact, know what was up. Yeah, no, so. definitely. Um, so Jamie and Gladys have always denied the version of events that are listed on the official court documents, which is that they had anything to do with this robbery or that anything um, regarding like these like the car pulling off on the side of the road. Like they say none of that happened. Um, but prosecute prosecutors claim that the net game from the robbery for the sisters was only eleven dollars. Um, and still, with the testimony of the teenagers, the Scott sisters were tried and convicted of their part in the arm, of the armed robbery. So, for allegedly stealing eleven dollars, uh, the sisters were each sentenced to double life sentences in prison. Um, what? Yeah. It, it's like the most, and this is not even the most like shocking or infuriating part. But they well, both, and this happened so, in the 90s, right? Yeah, the 90s. Um, as far as I can tell, it wasn't like, 
you know, one of those like three strikes types of situations. Um, it just seems that for whatever reason, these two black women were tried and convicted and then each one was sentenced to double life sentences. So it wasn't like, okay, yeah. I was just going to ask. I was going to ask because I was like, I cannot see if they were white that they would get this sentence. Yeah. So yeah, there was definitely some racism happening there. Well, yeah. Welcome. For over $11. Welcome to Mississippi. Um, oh, my God. So it's important to note that one of the teenagers, the one who was actually 14 at the time of the robbery, has since testified that investigators threatened him with being sent to one of Mississippi's most violent prisons, where um, the where the authorities basically said, you will get raped here if you do not take this plea deal and testify against these sisters. And so they threatened a 14-year-old boy with bodily harm and rape. Um, and so he took the plea deal and he testified against the sisters. Um, and so, but in 1998, so about five-ish years later, um, one of the men who was involved in the robbery, he signed and submitted an affidavit, an affidavit um, basically recanting his prior testimony and claiming that the sisters were not at all involved in the robbery. Uh, the affidavit, I cannot affidavit. Okay. The affidavit was sent to the governor of Mississippi along with uh, a request for clemency for the sisters, but that request was denied. Now, now I'm going to get a little sad. Um, so while in oh, prison. Wait, can I, can I interject mm-hmm. for a second? Yeah. Um, so were the boys black as well? Yeah. Okay. And so the boys actually, the, bo- the boys, uh, all three of them were sentenced to eight years in prison, but only had to serve two years and so even then i'm like even if we take the court like the official court document versions version of events like the ones who knocked someone out the ones with the weapon were not the sisters so to me it's just baffling that also they were like kids essentially yeah like not that i think that what they did was right or that they don't deserve you know some type of punishment but they're kids yeah no i totally (laughs) agree that's crazy and so this is where things kind of get a little sad or um so while in prison both of the sisters struggled with um suicidal ideation um, two months into her prison sentence, Gladys gave birth to a baby girl who was immediately taken from her. Uh, this left Gladys in deep despair, and she's quoted as saying, I tried to commit suicide because it bothered me so bad. I fell into a deep depression. I cut myself, but God wasn't ready for me. Um, oh, that's so sad. Yeah. And then years later, um, their father died, and Jamie, Gladys's sister, found herself in a similar situ- situation and planned on taking her life. Um, she actually uh, was getting medication um, through the jail, and she like uh, decided to hoard them um, in the hopes of taking them all at once. And so uh, she uh, she also said that I felt like something inside of me died. I feel like he their father died of a broken heart because he couldn't get us out of prison so i wanted to end my life um fortunately both of the sisters did survive um their suicidal ideation and attempts um and seven years later 
uh, in 2010 after years of advocacy groups and organizations like the ACLU fighting on their behalf, the governor of Mississippi, Haley Barber, made an unusual and, in my opinion, like absolutely inhumane agreement with the sisters for their freedom. So Jamie, uh, the older sister, was dying of kidney failure, but she was ineligible to be put on a transplant list. And so Governor Barber decided that the sisters could be, be could be set free, not because of the facts of their case were unclear or because of, um, you know, failing health or because the sentences were clearly inequitable with their crime. But instead, the governor made a stipulation that if Gladys dis- like would she decided that if Gladys would give her sister Jamie a kidney, then the sisters could earn their freedom. What? Yeah. Like, literally, I repeat, the governor of Mississippi essentially had these women buy their freedom for the low, low cost of a human organ. How <laughs> can they even... How is that even legal to suggest that? I have no idea. And there are so many think pieces that like basically are going off about how how is that even a thing? Number one, like I, I'm not a legal expert, but this, you know, with Becca, my- if you're listening, <laughs> let us know. Um, but yeah, extremely unethical to essentially like dangle your freedom in front of you, but say, no, you have to give your organ to your sibling. And the other part is, why would the governor even care? I have no idea. But like, obviously, like you're, you're talking about someone's sibling and their freedom. And so it's like giving somebody like rock in a hard place. What choice do you actually have? Like, did they even? Well, first of all, did the sister even want the other sister to give up a kidney? Secondly, did they even know that the like, because you have to have the right blood type or something, right, to to donate a kidney? So did they even know if the? I. It's not just automatic yeah. that if you're a sibling or a parent or a relative that you can just donate a kidney. I have no idea. I assume that they somehow figured this out. Um, as part of the deal but the sisters obviously agreed like, i feel like that's a very impossible it, like it's a decision that's how, how are you gonna say no like do i spend the rest of my life in prison after i've already been here for 16 years or like do i let my sister die and then stay in prison like it's it, yeah um and so in 2010 in december of 2010 both sisters were released um after serving 16 years in prison um, and I want to read a quote from a journalist, Leonard Pitts, who actually is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. So woohoo, whatever that means. And he um, who he summed up the case, in my opinion, pretty eloquently. Um, and he said, Mississippi stands guilty of a grievous offense against simple decency. Whatever the proximate cause of this ridiculous sentence, the larger cause is clear. The Scott sisters were black women in the poorest state in the union. Um, And I think that that whether like when you're thinking about whether or not they committed the crime, their sentence was outrageous for what the crime was. No one. Yeah, over eleven dollars. And they like, according to them, they didn't even, you know, really take much part in it. It was the the young boys who and they got the boys got less time than them. Yeah. And they were the ones who actually attacked 
someone mm-hmm. or like punch someone in the head or whatever. And if you care to like do your own like research on this case, like there are a lot of different articles that kind of highlight like how everything was stacked against these women. Um, for instance, people in the sheriff's department um, actually having a personal vendetta against um, Jamie and Gladys's father. And like, there's supposedly one of the sheriff actually threatened um, like his father, their father at one point years prior and basically says like, you're going to pay for this um, because the father upset them. Um, Other things like um, different members of law enforcement, unsurprisingly being part of the Klan. Um, Oh my God. In my husband's hometown, Anniston, Alabama, I think just a few years ago, um, like half of the sheriff's department or police department was outed as Klansmen. Um, What? Yeah. Like it's, it's like, so it's not, you know, we're talking about the night, like this happened in the 2010s. And so the nineties, what a surprise people are in the Klan in the police department um you know what i'm sadly not surprised yeah and so definitely like i i honestly based on everything that i read i can't even say that these women committed this crime um but even if they did like this just clearly shows like how horrible like criminal justice our criminal justice system can actually be um and it really reminds me of the movie um and the book but uh, or the movie that just came out in the book, Chess Mercy. Um, because, yeah, that's just, yeah. Oh, I want to see that. Isn't that, you can stream that for free somewhere? Yeah, on Amazon, I think. Uh, oh, cool. It's really good. I, like, cried in theaters watching it. So <laughs> um, maybe that's what I'll watch tonight. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> that kind of stuff gets me like, yeah. so sad, though. But. but so the sisters are both alive and they are living in Florida now. Um, they moved to live with their mom and their mom passed away. But um, they're both doing what they can to survive, unfortunately. Um, they've actually applied to have their um, sentences like I don't know what the correct word is, but removed, overturned, I guess. Is it like expunged or something? Yeah. And so, but that no that's like never happened. And um, one of the sisters actually was hit by a drunk driver and one thing led oh. to another and she had to have her foot amputated. And so now she's wheelchair bound. And because of the conditions of her parole, she's not able to get, like, she's not able to like travel and get the medical care that she needs. And so, um, I don't know, like maybe literally one day like if over eleven dollars like all of this yeah eleven dollars that may or may not have actually been stolen by these sisters so well no matter what there's no it doesn't sound like there's any version of the story where they were the ones stealing it like it was all the other people that's just yeah not so that is the case of the Scott sisters. I hope they're well. If you guys ever listen to this, we are rooting for you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's. I'm gonna wait a little. Someone's grabbing a drink. Can I say hi to Natalie? Yeah. Oh, I can't see her. You no. Hi. It's just anyone will be able to hear because it's in. Hi, Natalie. Hi. I listen to you and Rachel. <laughs> she says when hi. I'm this is so She says exciting. that she listens hi. to the podcast. <laughs> All of our she fans are in this really. one room. I can't wait to hear this one. I'm actually a podcast behind, so. Ooh. Oh, can't wait. Our last one was pretty cool. You should leave this in. This is good content. <laughs> oh, my well, God. Natalie added 
mindset. Sometimes there's fun content. I've heard yeah. about Gary on there, Gary and Squeaker. I got yeah. some Gary stories. Squeakers. <laughs> about yes. Natalie's dog. Yeah. yeah. Ollie. Yeah, Ollie, yes, Ollie. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, well, I was just saying, your case was really sad, but I think it's very important to, what are you doing? <laughs> I wanted to add a question that yeah. I had. Yeah. For Rachel. Okay. Would you give me your organs <laughs> if I needed that? <laughs> if I needed a kidney, would you give me one? Good question. Yeah. yeah, because I feel like... Of course. I didn't agree with anything really that happened with that case at all, but... I was just curious if you would. I would. I've considered I would donate my kidney to a stranger, but I feel like the only reason that I am keeping my kidneys is just in case like a, a family member needs one. Yeah, I was just thinking but about it because I would give it to anyone in my family. Donation is so interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember where it was that I read this, but. Um, they created some like database or something because family members, you know, are often willing to give a kidney to their family member. And like, this has been on, you know, so many episodes on like Grey's Anatomy or like, like whatever thing. where it's like, yeah, you have yeah. to, you like sign up and say, okay, I'm going to give this person my kidney and they're going to give this person my kidney. But there's like an actual official system in place that connects it. So when, a random donor comes in and donate. So it's not just that you're donating one kidney to one person. It's like kicking this whole thing into effect. So if you donate one kidney, then you can be responsible for like 15 other people getting a kidney, which I think is so cool. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Unfortunately, I'm probably I'm, I'm a terrible person. There, I can't think of a single person I'd give a kidney to. <laughs> not even me. I love you, Rachel, but no. <laughs> That's okay. I have two sisters. <laughs> what else are they for? And a brother. I'm like, maybe if I have a kid and I love it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> if I love it. <laughs> would you give Would you give me a kidney, Katie? Yeah. That's oh, what I said. Wow, I would give a kidney to anyone in our family without even thinking about it. Mm, even John? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I'd I'm need like, a my lot of there. I need... I need a lot of apologies from my brother to give like, him a kidney. Like, Fair enough. Not sure. That time he put a diaper on my head, still not about <gasps> it. Oh my God. <laughs> Tell me it wasn't used. Uh, the baby was still in it and it was very, very much like soiled. Ew. So yeah. What? Ew. <laughs> no, he does not deserve a kidney. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, I'm not that bad of a person. They just don't deserve it. <laughs> No, that's, and that's fair, but I would, yeah, I would give you, I would give you a kidney. I would give anyone a kidney. Um, so Natalie's case was really sad. Mine's more like, I feel like something you would see on a reality TV show or it was on an episode of Snapped. I don't yeah. know if you've ever watched that show or heard of yeah, it. Yeah, I think I, that's like, so I told you, I, I Googled because I was like, this sounds somewhat familiar. And I did have a snap space and I was like, oh my God, I think I know. Okay. This is fun, but also horrifying, but yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> no, it's, it's a really good case. Um, I was surprised. I'm glad that I pivoted. I picked something else to begin with, but it wasn't like criminally enough. Maybe I'll revisit it, but I wanted something that was a little bit more, you know? Yeah. Um, so, Jean, who also goes by Gina, Han, I'm going to just call her Jean. There was all different spellings of Gina. Um, 
whatever different articles refer to her as different things but because jean is her actual name that's what i'm going to call her so it's j-e-e-n han and her sister sunny moved to america at the age of 12 from south korea they didn't speak any english but by the time they went to high school they both graduated as co-valedictorians um and this was in california so growing up they would get along but like all sisters they would fight from time to time after high school jean was staying with sunny and in may of 1966 sunny and jean got into a fight where sunny hit jean with either a phone or a fist during a heated argument this was the fourth time over the past few months that the police had been called to separate the girls um sunny was arrested on a warrant that time and while she was in jail jean stole sunny's id and accessed her bank accounts and credit cards I did not mention they were twins. I said they were sisters, but they're also twins. Um, so Sunny was understandably upset about her sister stealing her. Oh, I just swallowed and talked at the same time. That was gross. Um, so when Jean stole Sunny's ID, since they were identical twins too, she could definitely get away with it. Um, so Sunny was understandably upset and pressed charges against Jean. Over the next few months, the sisters only saw each other one time. So, Sunny refused to bring Jean her driver's license while she was in jail or any clothes and would not tell Jean where she was living. Eventually, Jean was able to get out of jail and she was furious. So, while driving from San Diego to Orange County with some friends, Jean said she wanted something bad to happen to her sister and she wanted it to happen now. She wanted Sunny dead. And if her friends weren't going to help her, she was going to do it herself. She was talking about paying her friends to help kill her sister and wanted to know from them where to buy a gun. Um, I don't know at this point if her friends were taking her too seriously. Maybe they kind of brush it off as like, oh, she's just really upset with her sister. Um, So on November 5th of 1996, Arkisha Moore met with Jean. It was one of her friends. Jean expressed wanting to recover some of her property from Sunny's, including a BMW, and she also wanted to have her sister beaten up. Um, Moore agreed to help retrieve the property, but did not agree to harm Sunny. They recruited their friend named Robin Weatherby to join them to get this car back, um, and when they got to Sunny's apartment, nobody was home. Jean waited for Sunny and told her companions if she didn't kill her sister, her sister would kill her first. Um, So she allegedly offered them $80 each to beat the crap out of her sister and kill her if they could. Which $80? (laughs) I mean, this was back in the 90s. That's not enough. Um, (laughs) To even consider. (laughs) Not enough. Not that there is a number, but I'm just saying $80 to kill someone. Yeah, like, how much would you um, need to murder someone, Rachel? Let us know. <laughs> Not, I, no number. No number. <laughs> but I'm just saying $80 is low yeah, yeah. for the kind of thing that you're expecting. I'm not getting out of bed for $80. I hear you. <laughs> right, right. Um, so there was, like, a lot of conflicting information. But basically, at the end of the day, Jean had stolen her car. I think that they had shared the car and Jean ended up stealing it back, and this was a huge kind of heated debate. And obviously, Jean was, you know, stealing her credit cards, doing checks, committing fraud, things like that. Um, so when they went to go get this car, Jean actually had just purchased some pine sole and trash bags and had them in her trunk. And she said they were to 
clean up, you know, if anything were to happen. Um, eventually, the, the friends drop Jean back off at her home, where Jean asks again if they knew anyone who would kill her sister. So she just was not letting this go. Um, the next day, Jean showed up with Archie Bryant, who is 18 years old, and John Sarayath, who is 16. Jean waited in the car while Archie and John posed as magazine salesmen, so they would have an excuse to enter her sister's apartment. Um, when Sunny's roommate, Helen Kim, opened the door, Archie and John rushed in. They tied Helen up, put duct tape over her mouth, and threw her in the bathtub. Sunny heard her roommates or her roommate fighting with the boys and quickly dialed 911 on her cell phone, which this was 1996, so it wasn't as common for someone to have a cell phone back then. Um, she told the police that she heard her roommate say, please don't hurt me, take anything you want. Um, and prosecutors believe that this call saved her and her roommate's life. So it was really lucky that she did have a cell phone and she was able to, to make this call. Um, while the police were on their way, Helen was able to escape briefly, but John grabbed her before she was able to make it out the door. At this point, the boys had also managed to tie Sunny up and they put both of the women into the bathtub. So Sunny heard one of the boys curse and say that the police were there. Archie untied the women and told them to lie to the police, say that it was just a joke, um, and then the both of them escaped. But they weren't gone for too long. The police quickly caught up to them and arrested the boys. So John and Archie were quick to rat out Jean, saying the entire break-in was her idea. They said Jean had instructed them to tie Sunny up so that she could be the one to murder her. The police eventually tracked Jean down, arresting her in front of a car dealership near the San Diego airport. They told her they knew about the murder plot, um, and Jean handed over her sister's ID and the receipts from her purchases of the pine sole, the trash bags. I believe she also bought gloves as well. Um, so in 1998, Jean and her accomplices were convicted guilty of conspiracy to commit murder, burglary, and false imprisonment. Jean was sentenced to 26 years to life in prison. Jean, while she was in custody, spiraled into a depression and attempted to take her own life by taking sleeping pills. Um, she survived, and um, eventually in court, Jean said in a really soft voice, you know, I'm so sorry for everything that's happened. I'm truly sorry. Despite the circumstances, I had absolutely no intent to kill my twin sister. Sunny is my flesh and blood. She also said um, she wanted the courtroom to know that she loved her sister very much, but kind of suspicious. Her sister wasn't even in the courtroom at this time, so it, uh, to me it kind of seemed like a play to get some sympathy. Yeah. Um, so Nikki Chambers, so at this point, you know, Jean had been in prison for quite a long time, I believe like around 20 20-ish years. Um, so Nikki Chambers, the deputy district attorney, believed Jean was not to be trusted. In a letter um, that she wrote in November, I spelled it November. Um, <laughs> uh, don't look at that. <laughs> I, there's lots of spelling mistakes, I'm sure. Uh, but I know what it says. So in November of 2017, she, the district attorney wrote to Governor Jerry Brown. Chambers detailed Jean's history of crime. Jean was arrested as a juvenile for stealing cosmetics and personal items from Target, but told the, po po the, the, the po 
parole board that it was out of necessity. Uh, Chambers thought it was obvious that it was for personal use. It was like makeup or things. It wasn't like, you know, she was stealing soap and tampons or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So it came across as disingenuous, at least to the the district attorney. She, um, so in April of 1996, earlier that year before this, you know, attempt on her sister, Jean had stole checks and credit cards from her uncle, a family friend, and her mother's uncle. She was arrested and pled guilty to a second-degree felony burglary and was placed in, or was sentenced to a year in jail and had to pay $10,000 in restitution. Um, On May 22nd, Jean also pled guilty to one count of felony receiving stolen property and five counts of forgery after she was caught with more credit cards and that did not belong to her and blank checks. Um, finally, in October, while while in jail, Jean was granted a work furlough that allowed her to leave prison for five hours, but she never returned. And it was, yeah. It's, I wouldn't either. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, it seems like Wow. Uh, she had also told an, another inmate at that point, you know, how much she hated her sister and how she had a plan to get some gold, trade it in for cash, and then she wanted to fly to Tijuana, Mexico. Um, so as Jean was preparing for... Oh, gosh. So, okay. I guess my script just didn't really... Go. So that was before all this murder happened, so back to the the present day where this letter is being written. Um, to prepare for her parole meeting, Jean met with Dr. Brianna, S-A-T-T-E-R-H-T-H-W-A-I-T-E. Your pronunciation would be probably better than mine. I'm just going to call her Dr. S. Okay. So Dr. S was a forensic psychologist. She diagnosed Jean with borderline personality disorder with antisocial traits, um, which I think Coming from a psychology background, you know, we know a little bit about borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when people say that someone's bipolar and they're very, you know, back and forth, up and down. So they're often, you know, incorrect. Bipolar is switching between states of mania and states of depression. And it doesn't, you know, happen in a snap. It's not. So when people say someone's bipolar, generally, you know, it's more likely that they're you know, symptoms kind of fit more this borderline personality disorder where your mood can change really quickly. You're often, you know, manipulative. And especially with the the antisocial traits that, you know, antisocial, when it's used in like a psychological sense, kind of means like sociopath, psychopath. It's it's not like, oh, they just don't like to talk to other people. Like, I'm antisocial a lot of the time. But yeah. this is this is a different, you know, kind of like you don't have remorse for, for your actions, you know, um, things like that. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, you know, that's a pretty fitting diagnosis. Um, Chambers had cited the Mayo Clinic's recommendation for treatment of BPD, which stated that it was likely that Jean would need long and intensive therapy coupled with medication for a shot at recovery. It was believed that Jean had a traumatic childhood that was never properly addressed or processed. Jean believed that her mother was evil um, and really toxic and that she had favored Sunny over Jean. So it's, you know, we don't know if this was actually the case or if that was just maybe her perception, 
But also, like I said earlier, these two girls, you know, entered the U.S. with their family when they were 12 years old and they didn't speak English. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you know, incredible and just goes to show how smart they both were that they went from like 12 years old, not speaking any English to being co-valedictorians of of their high school. Um, Yeah. So that's I mean, that's so impressive. Um, but anyway, at the parole, parole hearing, Chambers claimed it seemed like Jean was trying to be a better person, but she had also not taken the proper steps to address her mental disorder, like engaging in therapy, um, and continued to manipulate others behind bars. So she sent letters to men all over the country and even secured money, lodging, jobs for after her release from these men. And I saw a picture of her. She's, like, a very beautiful girl. Not that that matters, but I don't know if she was able to use that to her advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, She was even gifted $100,000 from a man in England after only writing to each other for, for 12 months. And so for all of these reasons, Chambers believed that Jean was still a risk and should not be allowed back into society. But after 20 years in state prison, Governor Jerry Brown granted June parole on May 24th, 2018. She was 44 years old when she was released. So it was never said, you know, if she decided to go to therapy, decided to work on, you know, her issues. Clearly she had some jealousy with her sister. Um, Her sister kind of pointed that all of this behavior was due to a gambling addiction Mm -hmm. um so that's that case and it made like international headlines it was a very like tabloidy type case um yeah you know over a stolen bmw and then she tried to kill but it was similar to your case i didn't find more information about the boys that she supposedly manipulated into committing the crime and like tying the the women up but yeah they were 16 and 18 years old at the time and there was this i believe she was around 23 years old um katie 23 years old yeah i'm 23 resident 23 year old would you manipulate a 16 and 18 year old (laughs) no i don't even think i'd talk to a 16 or 18 year old if yeah where did family meet these people that's yeah shady but i mean i think it was pretty apparent that she was trying to kill her sister and if they were not able to call the police who knows what would have happened but she had been in jail for quite a long time so hopefully she matured and learned some things about life and well the letter was saying that oh she didn't like pursue treatment blah 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 i don't think that's the easiest thing to do while you're in jail yeah and i also think that some of the harder um, mental illnesses, I think, to get people to pursue treatment for are ones that are personality disorders. Um, like right. I, think it's, I think it's hard to tell someone who is existing in, like, this, I don't know, their own version of reality that, nope, you're actually disordered and need some help. I don't, I mean, I obviously not a psychologist yet, um, but... She there's like a little bit of like narcissism there too, which I think is even like harder if it's like comorbid mm-hmm. with borderline. Like I think those are two like very difficult things to get like people, you know, in the chair for to like just right. talk to I mean, I help. think that we had 
I had learned at least in my classes that the personality disorders were like like this um, woman said the the DA they require lots of intensive therapy and I think mm-hmm. for a shot at you know recovery quote unquote whatever that might look like for someone with a personality disorder it takes a lot of it takes a lot of work and you know I I do feel for Gina it sounds like she had a really tough you know childhood and upbringing and she was obviously her and her sister were very intelligent women um which also means that she would probably know how to outsmart you know yeah Uh, like forensic psychologists i'm sure that they you know have ways of kind of getting around that but still that's wild it was an interesting case yeah definitely Um, for sure very wild yeah, Please definitely. Less, less sad than mine. <laughs> definitely fascinating. I would totally watch a movie on this. <laughs> right? I want to find the Snapped episode. Mm-hmm. I wanted to learn more about their childhood. There was only, like, a few snippets here or there. Um, and yeah. I'll have to send my... When I send my sources over, I was kind of reading through, like, court documents. Because usually I like to... Like, the way that I do my cases is, like, start from childhood, talk about any potential influences that you know may have affected their later criminal behavior and then list the details of the case but this one was like a little bit in well with both of our cases it's interesting because Mm -hmm. neither of them you know had been violent towards another person yeah in my case it was maybe like yet like she might have done that but yeah i also think um just like the you know kind of like some of the stereotypes that you think of of like immigrant like asian like families um mm-hmm. like you know some there are like stereotypes are bad yes but like with some there are like a little bit of like truth and sometimes like like the strictness that could have mm-hmm. been like in that environment i could definitely see like you know the pressure of like that type of environment and you're literally living with like your double like somebody who's exactly like you and is not getting possibly not getting the exact same treatment or is not um like um struggling the same way that you are like how that can like just really mess up someone's psyche a bit so she would be a very fascinating person to talk to (laughs) of course i'm glad that i'm not a twin me too that sounds i would have absorbed mine (laughs) <laughs> oh god in the womb <laughs> our music is the track wasteland by joseph mcdade his patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below any mistakes are entirely our own so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741-741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.